Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. And this week, we're going to talk about the death of Queen Elizabeth II, how Disney keeps normalizing transgenderism for children in its programming, <clears throat> how to make your abortion advocacy taco-licious, and Britney Spears is going to give us a lesson in borderline personality disorder and what it does to the children who are raised in the orbit of such a person. Let's start out with the Queen's death. I don't have any particular political or emotional feelings about the British monarchy. I know that other people do. Uh, I'm not a British subject, so it doesn't mean the things to me that it means to my British friends, but this is a momentous this is a momentous death. This woman, regardless of what you think of her, regardless of what you think of the institution, <clears throat> was maybe the last real living link to the world of the 20th century. And that's a world that I'm very familiar with. Some of you aren't familiar with it all. And for some of you, it's just very small childhood memories, uh, a distant time. Um, I was thinking recently about how when I look at old music videos from the early days of MTV, the 80s still looks fresh and modern and like the future to me. And I started to think, I wonder, I wonder if the 1950s looked that way to my parents' generation when I was in the 80s and 90s and they looked back on their very early childhood. Did those pictures from the 50s still look modern to them? Um, but that world is gone. And... My friend Helen reminds me how much time this woman's reign straddled. Winston Churchill was her first prime minister. Um, that's really all I have to say about that, except that I did notice, <clears throat> predictably, of course, um, people have to say provocative and or nasty things as soon as somebody dies. So... Also, if you're black and you're from a former colony, a uh, former part of the British Empire, you get to say whatever you want in as nasty a way as you could possibly want to and get absolutely no social disapproval that counts or that tempers you at all, especially if you're a professor of linguistics at Carnegie Mellon University. Take a look at this tweet. It's from Christopher Rufo. And he found a professor named... Uju Anya, who is originally from Nigeria, but she's a professor of linguistics at Carnegie Mellon University, and here's what she had to say about the death of the queen. Quote, I heard the chief monarch of a thieving, raping, genocidal empire is finally dying. May her pain be excruciating. <laughs> Christopher Rufo described Uju Anya as a critical race theorist at Carnegie Mellon University. And that gives me a chuckle because that's that's like talking about an intelligent design theorist, you know, the, the new school creationists. None of this stuff, critical race theory, queer theory, feminist theory, gender theory, these aren't even theories. This is me tilting at linguistic windmills, okay? because uh, I know I've already lost this battle. It's going to make no difference. These aren't even theories. They are barely hypotheses. Okay, There's a hierarchy here. You get an idea. You form a hypothesis, a guess about, hmm, I suspect X mechanism may be what's making this thing happen. Let me test my hypothesis. Then you test your hypothesis, and if your hypothesis is proven, and then other people replicate your work, and this is demonstrated for long enough and for enough uh, for a sufficient number of times, sooner or later, your hypothesis becomes confirmed as theory. Theory does not mean guess. It doesn't mean guess. Hypothesis means something a little stronger than guess, but it's closer. Once you get to theory, you're almost in the realm of scientific law. And I say that advisedly. I say that very advisedly because no theory is ever um, unable to be overturned. But at any rate, these people aren't theorists. They're just throwing out, they're not even throwing out hypotheses. They're throwing out emotional assertions. That's all it is. It's just a bunch of emotionally asserted claims. Uh, next tweet here 
Um, somebody reacted, of course, to Uju Anya, and, and this person named Laura said, Ew, you stink. Pretty tame for Twitter. Uju Anya, remember, the linguistics professor, uh, her response was, you mean like your pussy. Now. Come on. All that education, all that linguistic knowledge, and all she could come up with was your pussy. What about Quim, Cunny, Hot Pocket, Calzones, Ham Flaps, Beef Curtains, maybe even a little trim? No, all we get is pussy. Uju Anya, do better. All right. This is also from Christopher Rufo, who says, let's put this tweet up on the screen, Kevin. Um, picture here of something that looks like the Stave Puffed Marshmallow Man crossed with the Michelin Tire Man. It's obviously an AI-generated uh, cartoon character from Christopher Rufo. Exclusive. I've obtained leaked videos from Disney's upcoming show, Baymax, which promotes the transgender flag and the idea that men can have periods to children as young as two years old. It's all part of Disney's plan to re-engineer the discourse around kids and sexuality. Let's take a listen. Excuse me, which of these products would you recommend? Oh, um... Well, these are the tampons I usually use. Thank you. I prefer pads. They're more comfortable for me. Thank you. I always get the ones with wings. Thank you. Get unscented and bleach-free if you can. Thank you. Yo, my daughter loves these. Thank you. These might be easier if it's her first period. Thank these you. are really environmentally friendly. <laughs> these are really environmentally friendly. <laughs> you know they had to cut it there because... You know, in the next half second, if he didn't immediately choose those, she would have gone. <laughs> See, it is kind of funny, but it isn't funny when you think about it with two year olds, because there's some subtle stuff going on there. And even some people who would ordinarily agree with Christopher Rufo thought he was going too far with this. I don't think he's going too far. If you didn't catch it and it's hard to catch the first time around. But what you're seeing there, there's a, a young woman who is styled visually as a man. She's wearing the uh, broad striped shirt with the trans flag colors, the baby pink and baby blue. Um, yeah, these are really grown up people. He says, I normally get the one with wings. Uh, um, first of all, that voice is wrong. It should have been, I normally get the ones with wings. Has to be that strangled froggy voice that you get from testosterone and being a woman. This is just normalizing the idea, yes, that men get periods because there is such a thing as men who menstruate. There is such a thing as men who have vaginas, uteruses, fallopian tubes, ovaries, clitorises, um, but not breast though, not breast though. They, they're, the whole breastal region up here, that doesn't exist for trans men. It's chest, 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 chest. They're not getting breast reduction. They're getting chest surgery. Reminds me of a woman I used to know decades ago. <laughs> she, had, was, she was so grossed out by the juxtaposition of a piece of food in the female breast that she refused to say the word chicken breast. She called it chicken chest. <laughs> A um, couple of reactions to Christopher Rufo. And these, these, of course, are typical. There are a dime a dozen on Twitter from the trans crowd. First one from Starman Mars. Yes, some trans men still have uteruses and they can have periods. I believe that anyone with basic understanding in biology would be able to figure out that it's the uterus that causes periods, not gender identity. Yeah, Starman, well, I would figure that anyone with basic knowledge in biology would understand that there are men and women, but clearly I'm off my nut. Next one is from Crowley Corvid. Uh, this one's great. This, uh, get your notebook out, kids. This is borderline personality disorder style manipulation. Okay, this is just one tweet. I don't know anything about this person, but this is BPD style here. I'm so sorry that me being alive offends you. I'm so sorry that you'd rather I want to kill myself than be happy. I'm so sorry that me just simply being makes you uncomfortable. I'm so sorry it upsets you that 
uh, half a second of dialogue from a character that represents. And then I didn't look at the next tweet because this is retarded. <laughs> I'm so sorry that my being alive offends you. Oh, suck it. <laughs> next one. <laughs> I'm going to use up all my allotment of the voice today. This is such... Oh, oh I'm sorry. Um, username is Cat Weird. Okay. All right. So this is such a non-issue and is actually really sweet when you look at it like a not crazy person. And then finally, we have a contribution from... <laughs> this one has an avatar that looks like a cross between the Japanese anime sexified young girls who stand there with their mouths open, obviously available for blowjobs, and some kind of elfin thing from Amazon's um, Lord of the Power or Rings of the Bog or whatever the hell that thing is called. So, Mixter King <laughs> says... I'm having a really hard time figuring out what's wrong with a healthcare robot asking for menstruation product recommendations. <laughs> like, I thought it was pretty wholesome. I wish people treated me like that when I asked what to get. What's wholesome about talking to a robot in a grocery store? <laughs> Do you want <laughs> Do you know what robots are? This is a robot. Look at your screen. That is a robot. That's Mr. Roboto. That's what's going to happen. It's not going to be the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. It's not going to be his cousin. It's not going to be this, like, soft and, and cuddly thing. It's going to be this demonic face going... Kids today. All right. Now... To my eternal shame, but my ongoing amusement, I am still on the mailing list for the National Network of Abortion Funds. <laughs> and I've thought about all the, uh, all the emails I still get from organizations like this, because the initial response when you see it in your inbox, right, is to be like, ugh, block, block, I hate you, I hate you. Uh, but, of course... Would you really want to take your name off the list if you got this kind of quality stuff that I'm going to share with you? So this is the uh, banner image that accompanied the email, and it's, um, you know, cutesy Q font. You know, it's not actually even that hot today. It's like 79 degrees, but I think this building is uh, releasing the last of its summer heat. Kevin said I looked fresh when I sat down in front of this today. Um, but I'm not feeling so fresh here. Maybe I should ask that robot about a sanitary product. Okay. Um, so here we are. Taco or Bev challenge. Hi, Joshua. I'm Kidra. She, her. I'm the digital engagement and accessibility manager at National Network of Abortion Funds. I also want to share what my favorite go-to beverage is. Like, how did we get on this topic? But before I do that, I wanted to tell you a little bit about why I love the Taco or Bev Challenge in Prince T-O-B-C. Because you got to remember that for the hashtag. Okay, guys? All right. You know, Kedra, I would never have guessed your sex without those pronouns. Boy, howdy. Mm. Engagement and accessibility. She's the manager of engagement and accessibility. <laughs> to continue with Kidra. <clears throat> I've been at National Network of Abortion Funds for three years plus 10 months. How long is that in trimesters? Does anyone know? Answer in the YouTube comments. But even before that, I worked at another repro organization. And yes, yeah, she, she put quote marks around repro. That's the first time I did the challenge with my coworkers. Taco or Bev Challenge is the annual event that's about raising awareness of why abortion funds are so important. It's also about raising money for abortion funds. Do you hear all the excess language here? You have to access things and engage with them and you have to raise money not for abortion but for abortion funds that fund abortion. 
So how to play here on your screen. It's a three-step process. One, eat a taco or drink a beverage. <laughs> Parens, or another local fave. Right, fam? Number two, and this one is crucial. It says in parentheses, donate to an abortion fund. And number three, share using hashtag TOBC22 and tag three friends. Are we talking about Play-Doh and swing sets or dilation and curatage here, Kidra? Do you see this? Do you guys see this? This cutesy little girl slash kindergarten teacher affect that's taken over the delivery of every so-called woman's topic these days. Grown women talking like little girls about things that they claim are of, of paramount public policy importance. A uh, little bit more from Kidra. <laughs> Now that I'm at the National Network of Abortion Funds, what I do is reach out to supporters like you and offer ways to get involved in abortion access. I get to provide that entry point. Excuse me. And how, how I do that is by making sure you have informative and accessible ways to support abortion access. <laughs> I should. How many times is she going to say access in this email? And finally, the last one. So, what's my favorite Bev? Well, I'm big into non alcoholic cocktails. Mocktails. <laughs> I love one called the Pathfinder, a hemp and licorice based spirit. I have that with tonic water orange bitters, and a squeeze of lime. Delicious. Non-alcoholic cocktails don't have spirits in them, you illiterate muppet. Okay, I'm gonna take a break to fan myself and I'll see you guys on the other side here. Oh, oh, but before I go, subscribe to us on audio too. If you don't wanna sit and watch me pull faces, I'm great for when you're mopping the floor, driving the car, taking the kids to work, or Crawfording your house. And yes, Crawford is a verb. To Crawford is to engage in cleaning to an excessive degree with a maniacal affect. So if that describes any of you, check us out on iHeartRadio, uh, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, anywhere, Pandora, anywhere that you get your podcasts, check us out there because it helps our numbers. If you subscribe, you can also leave a review. Thanks. See you on the other side. For more conversation on the dark and disordered psychology that shapes today's cultural and political left, subscribe to our weekly audio podcast on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and virtually anywhere else you get your podcasts. Let's learn to recognize these dynamics and call them what they are. Subscribe to Disaffected to learn how to break the spell. We now have a bonus for our supporters. You can help the Disaffected podcast grow and receive invitations for our off-air Zoom hangouts by becoming a supporting member on Patreon or Subscribestar. Patreon users, go to patreon.com slash disaffected. Subscribestar users, you can find us at subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Check out our webpage at disaffected.fm for the complete list of ways you can help support us. And thank you. Welcome back. During the break, I usually powder myself because you know about that whole powder thing. So I'm looking at myself in this compact and I'm doing all this stuff and I get, I just get a quick uh, glance at my eyes. And for a second, I look like Justin Trudeau and I gave myself the creeping willies. Boo! <sighs> all right. I'll try to muscle through it. On this show, I've talked a lot about the fact that women lead woke culture. Women enforce trans ideology. Women insist on critical race theory. Women insist on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Women insist on everyone else publicly performing what they call empathy for people they've never met in their lives. 
Women have feminized our entire public discourse, and they rule over us, often in human resources departments, in a way that's it's it's a it's a kind of selfish moralizing behind a mommy's smile, right? It's it's the it's the smile that covers over the phrases like, "I'm not sure that's a good look." Ugh. Talking about this phenomenon, the fact that female style discourse or, or 21st century <clears throat> female style discourse, first of all, to propose that it's a thing at all riles some people up, but certainly to criticize it is beyond the pale for many, many people. It's difficult for people to hear this because of the emotional contamination that has surrounded that topic. Talked about this last week on the show, the women are wonderful effect, that series of psychological studies that found that both men and women have a preference to see women positively, and that women tend to exhibit a preference for other women and to, and to cut them slack and see them positively at a rate four and a half times higher than men. Men not only don't see, men don't cleave to their own sex, they, they, they cleave to women, but women do it too. Um, that's part of it. You know, for at least 40 years, the narrative has been that that women in the Western world are oppressed. They are oppressed just as badly as they have ever been oppressed under any political or economic system. And that we live in something called a patriarchy here in the West. This has been drilled so deep into our minds that we object to criticizing women the very same way that women are allowed to criticize men. But the stuff that I say about this, the observations that I make about women feminizing our, our discourse and our social rules, this is not half as provocative as it probably seems to some people listening to it for the first time. It seems very emotionally provocative to people, and I know this because I used to be one of those people. It used to emotionally provoke me. And I still see it happening among people who are closer to my political orientation or the way I see the world. There's still this sort of high step they can't get over when it comes to seeing women being talked about and discussed in, in exactly the same way with parity with the way that women are allowed to talk about, analyze, and, and reduce men to certain characteristics. Do you hear the things that many of these women say about men, particularly self-styled feminists, they say it right out in public without even a hint of social pressure to stop them. Not, not even a little bit. They're righteous when they say it. And it, it boils down to this. To a close approximation, women are allowed to have issues with men. They may have as many issues with men as they like. They may be as reductive as they like. They may be as provocative, accusatory, and inaccurate as they like. They are allowed to do so, and you are not allowed to object to it. So women are allowed to have issues with men. Men are not allowed to have issues with women under any circumstances. Never. You know, I remember... I remember a friend of mine, a former friend, um, who, when my political views were starting to change and when my views about the topics of sex and what we call gender started to change, she castigated me for a number of things and said that she was concerned about my behavior. And one of the first things she said was what worried her was my anger at women. And that stung when I heard it, and I had the emotional contamination reaction, and yeah, the first thing I thought to myself is, oh my God, am I, am I really a misogynist? Have I always actually been a misogynist? You know, just like my mother said I was. And then I started, th you know, I've, this has stayed in my head for years, and if, and if that former friend happens to be watching, you know who you are. That's astonishing. I'm concerned about your anger at women. As if anger at women were a moral sin, that, it, that anger at women is a reliable indicator that a man is getting ready to rape or kill women. That's the implication. 
Anyway, not much more to say about that. But Dennis Prager has something to say about this, and I really like this article. I want to share some of it with you. He wrote this for the Daily Signal. It was published on August 30th, <clears throat> and the headline is, Women Are Disproportionately Hurting Our Country. Dennis Prager talks about being an advocate for marriage from an early age, in his words, because men have to be taught to control their aggressive and sexual natures. And Dennis Prager sees marriage as a civilizing and constraining influence on testosterone-driven male physical and sexual aggression. And he has a point there. Whether you agree that marriage is a good thing or a bad thing or it's the only or best way is not the point uh, to me. The point is Dennis Prager is correct. One of the things that we need to teach young men is how to control that, how to control their nature. This, this is a topic that is, is woven through this show, whether I talk about it explicitly or not. Humans have a nature. This, this is what the left objects to. The left is made up of tabula rasa people. They believe that humans are born, unlike everyone else in the animal kingdom, we alone are born complete blank slates, and it's all nurture that does everything to us. I believed this for a long time. It isn't true. As people like to say, it doesn't make any sense to believe that humans are the product of evolution, just as uh, every other creature in the animal kingdom. But we humans were subjected to evolutionary pressure only from the neck down, meaning it had nothing to do with our psychology. There's no, nope, nope, nope. Men's and women's brains aren't different. Na la 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 la. Sexist la 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 la. That's what you get. Well, it isn't true. Men and women, typically on average, with exceptions and outliers, hi, I'm an outlier, have sex typical psychology. It's a quote from Prager's article. Quote, I also came to realize that raising good men was the most important thing society could do. If it doesn't, the male propensity to physical aggression and predatory sexual behavior will wreak havoc. Therefore, raising boys to control their natures is fundamental to society avoiding chaos. Agreed. And I dare say almost every feminist would agree with that statement too. This is another example of something that if the converse were applied to women, feminists, you'd, you'd start seeing their faces get, get angry and red. But they would agree with this. And I would agree with them because I think Dennis is correct. Quote, over the course of a lifetime, however, and here comes the converse, over the course of a lifetime, however, I have come to realize that while society was right about males, it was wrong about females. Whether spoken or unspoken, most people thought girls just didn't need to be raised to control their natures nearly as much as boys did. But they do. Quote, It's true that females are not inclined to violence or predatory sexual behavior as men are. But this hardly means that girls and women don't have to learn to control their natures. On the contrary, as I have been telling parents for many years now, they need to teach their daughters to control their natures just as much as they teach their sons to do so. Specifically, girls have to learn to control their emotions. My friend Helen Dale, who's been on the show before, has a really neat formulation. For this. She says that men need to control their sexual incontinence, but women need to control their emotional incontinence. She's generally right about that. There are typical ways, average ways, that the sexes go wrong when they go wrong and when they abandon themselves to excess. Men who abandon themselves to excess sleep around, knock up a bunch of women, take no responsibility for it, get into fistfights, may even rape and exploit women. Women who abandon themselves to excess become narcissistic, self-involved, uh, entirely concerned with their own uh, image and status. They are willing to exploit, lie about other women or men in order to keep themselves higher on the social hierarchy ladder. And they are very willing to pretend that they are hurt little fawns crying tears to hide the fact that their behavior is in fact aggressive and abusive. So. These are the typical ways that men and women go wrong. 
<clears throat> we homosexuals are just here to mix it up for you. So it's like getting a bag of that party mix. You don't know if you're going to get a Cheeto or pretzel. <laughs> um, I'm not going to put this up on the screen, but I'm going to read an extended passage from the rest of Dennis's essay. I think it's worth it. Just as the male sexual drive and violent impulses can overwhelm their conscience and their ability to act and think rationally, emotions can do the same thing in girls and women, overwhelm their conscience and their ability to think and act rationally. However, it should be obvious that at least two generations of parents, especially among the well-educated, did not teach many of their daughters to control their emotions and think rationally. The result is that women are disproportionately active in doing damage to our society. The most obvious example is education. American schools teach less and indoctrinate more than ever before. Big city public and most private schools are damaging young Americans to an extent and in ways no one imagined just a few years ago. Young children are prematurely sexualized. They are, for example, exposed to drag queen story hour in class and in local libraries from the age of five. These feature a man dressed as a woman reading and dancing for them. Uh, and to break away from Dennis a little bit, he's being kind here. It's not just reading and dancing. Most of these things look more like strip shows, and some of them actually are burlesque strip shows with tipping, tipping the drag queens. Back to Dennis's article. And who is facilitating all of this? In virtually every case, a woman. 92% of kindergarten teachers are women. 75% of all teachers are women, and 85% of librarians are women. Duh. And every single person knows it, including the feminists gnashing their teeth and rending their garments right this very minute. He says, and they are teaching young people to despise their country. For example, the creator of the poisonous 1619 project is a woman, yes, Dennis, and her name is Hannah Nicole Jones. They're teaching young people to despise their country, to feel guilty about their, quote, white privilege, or to think of themselves as victims if they are black. Even worse, they are indoctrinating them in, quote, non-binary thinking regarding sex and gender. He's right. And he's not the only one who sees it. I was surprised, but pleased to see this article from Newsweek magazine. What's the date on it? It'll be in the show notes. This is written by a woman, what I'm about to read to you. Um, and it addresses something that's been bothering me. You know, one of the results of the, what we call the Me Too movement, you know, I was sexually harassed too. I, for certain, for certain, there were women among that set who had indeed been sexually harassed, and I don't mean occasionally patted on the ass. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna draw that line right here. If you are wondering, and if you need to make up a moral judgment about whether I'm a misogynist, let me help you. No, I do not believe that a very occasional incident like getting patted on the ass constitutes something that rises to the level that we would call sexual harassment with all the legal and cultural connotations that come with it. No, I don't think it's appropriate. Yes, I think that if some man puts his hand on a woman's ass in the office, what he should expect and what she should give him is a brisk slap across the face for being a cad. But no, I'm not going to say that if that happened to you once or twice in your life that you're a victim of sexual harassment. But there are women in this, in, among the Me Too people who I am absolutely certain were sexually harassed and never had any mechanism to address it. But for the most part, Me Too has allowed middle to upper middle class women, particularly white women, but also black women, uh, because black people are sacred today, to make accusations about any man they want, emotionally inflate them to any degree they want, and be believed no matter what, while he gets shafted, even if there isn't evidence to justify these claims. That's what Me Too became. So let's go to Newsweek. This is a column by an author named Angie Speaks. She's the co-host of the Low Society podcast. And the headline is, Johnny Depp's victory puts a crack in the moral armor of liberal feminism. 
And of course, Johnny Depp sued his ex-wife Amber Heard for libel after she published an op-ed that was drafted in large part by the American Civil Liberties Union in which she positioned herself as the face of female domestic abuse victimhood with the very obvious and clear implication that Johnny Depp was a domestic abuser. Amber lost that trial because she's a liar, uh, and she's a liar because she is a diagnosed borderline and histrionic. Um, so here's what Angie has to say about that. First quote, it was a stunning verdict and one that seems to spell the end of the Me Too movement's edict that we quote, hashtag believe all women. But it should come as no surprise that these once ubiquitous and socially enforced liberal feminist edicts are now beginning to <laughs> I don't know what they're beginning to do because I cut off the quote that I wanted to give you. Um, but you can guess the end of that. Let's just go to the next one. Ah, no. <laughs> yeah, you're looking at me make mistakes in front of a camera. Whatever. Rest of the quotes. Succumb to the scrutiny and skepticism that they have so far managed to avoid. The Depp versus Heard case breathed new life into once dismissed criticisms about the limits of Me Too and the disregard the movement has shown for the importance of due process. And what she means by due process is being heard in a court of law and being able to face your accuser, being given the specifics of the accusation against you. For many men on college campuses, there is no such thing as due process any longer. Sexual harassment complaints get treated under Title IX, and there's a wonderful organization, if you don't know about it, called FIRE. Um, I believe that stands for for individual rights in education. They have taken on the woke movement and the politically correct movement on campus and have actually stood up for uh, young men who, uh, to me, convincingly uh, have been falsely accused of rape or sexual harassment and have gone all the way to expulsion, um, being kicked out of school, these sorts of things. So check out FIRE. Back to Angie Speaks. Needless to say, Me Too, like any other political or social movement, proved not immune to cynical weaponization. Those, the sentiments and aspirations of the, of the movement are in fact noble. The incentive structure surrounding victimhood, grievance, and even feminism writ large in the realm of media and political organizations is rife with avenues for opportunism, careerist maneuvering, and attention-seeking. Mm-hmm. I should have pulled this for the show this week. You want to talk about attention-seeking? Have you seen Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on the cover of GQ magazine, Gentleman's Quarterly? She's standing there in a um, uh, tightly fitted uh, double-breasted suit jacket going like this. And part of the photo shoot is her standing. She's in the Capitol. Um, she looks like she's on the National Mall uh, near the Washington Monument. I'm not exactly sure where she is, but she's, they've posed her like a Grecian goddess. She's in a, a floor length, uh, formal, looks like a ball gown. Um, she's standing, it's a very nicely composed photograph. Um, and she's standing there looking off into the distance like this. It looks like a 1930s uh, George Harrell Hollywood portrait, you know, where they made women and men into gods and goddesses. I mean, it's, Absolutely. The narcissism is just over the top. Ugh, I let AOC drag me off topic again. Quote, Indeed, the liberal feminist mode has come to rely heavily on media spectacle, celebrity, and a careerist incentive structure in which success is built on scalps taken without due process. After all, the Me Too movement has been liberal feminism's greatest hit of late. What does it say of feminism more broadly that its most high-profile success devolved into celebrity smut and the cynical weaponization of grievance? And she talks about the similar dynamics within Black Lives Matter BLM, similar dynamics with the Jussie Smollett hoax, where he claimed that he was gay bash when in fact he wasn't. The exploitative are immediately seen as victims in our society. You don't have to prove anything. You say you're a victim and you get that. We're going to sort them out later, except they often never get sorted out. Smollett got sorted out. Thank goodness. Um, when I was reading this on the Newsweek site, the very first comment caught my attention. I didn't even read the rest of the comments. I mean, obviously nobody reads all the comments, but um, I just plucked it right away. It was from a woman named Lucy. 
And she says this, years ago, when the photos and accusations first came out, I, as a woman who leans left since political persuasion has apparently impacted the overall discussion of this trial, I simply accepted that Depp must have been at fault. Fast forward to rational thinking, evidence, due process, etc., and there's no doubt in my mind that Heard is severely mentally ill, violent, and the clear abuser and perpetrator despite Depp's addictive behavior. In fact, I believe that his issues were exacerbated by his life with Heard. I paid close attention and done my research, and beyond this trial, looking for any tiny indication that she was not at fault. And while I'm not proud that I, that I got caught up in this madness, I'm hanging my head in shame, I can say that I found nothing that could convince me. This has been a travesty for him and his family. Amber Heard is broken, dangerous, and a blatant affront to women who are, or who have been, legitimate victims of abuse. She has set us back and made me rethink support for any party, group, or organization that is blind and dogmatic in their approach, especially given how polarized this nation has become. I am, however, heartened to see so many who seem to have escaped these traps by, for the most part, thinking on their own and weighing the facts. I wish we could see more thoughtful, brave, articulate op-eds like this one. I'm with you, Lucy, and Madam, thank you for saying so. It, it means something coming from a woman. Um, I appreciate it. A little quick one before we get to the break here. <laughs> Burlington is little Seattle, as I'm always reminding you. Well, VT Digger, this is the news media outlet, the nonprofit online newspaper uh, that libeled me um, and several of my friends earlier this year, um, calling me a right-wing YouTube personality whose words on this show contributed to the murder of a so-called trans woman earlier this year. Yes, indeed, they did make that claim. Um, well, you know, they stand for right and good, so they're talking now about homelessness in Burlington. Not homelessness, excuse me. Let me correct my language. Um, I'll read it from the headline. Burlington City Council moves forward with construction of pods for those experiencing homelessness. Ugh! I just... Can somebody please make me a strangle doll? That's a thing. Strangle dolls, I just made it up. It's a doll that you get to strangle. Please. I'll give you our post office. No, I'm not giving you our post office box. Make me the strangle doll, please. People experiencing homelessness. Oh, my God in heaven. So, <laughs> this city, Burlington, got a million and a half dollar grant from the federal government to build 30 pods for people experiencing homelessness. Um, I've been off on my thing. I don't know if it's been on your screen. But they look like tiny houses, right? They look like these little tiny houses that aspirational upper middle class people are escaping to when they're tired of the hustle and bustle. <laughs> and all of them are going to have air conditioning, heating, and electricity. Um, so there you are, little Seattle. Um, come back. We got another segment for this show. For more conversation on the dark and disordered psychology that shapes today's cultural and political left, subscribe to our weekly audio podcast on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and virtually anywhere else you get your podcasts. Let's learn to recognize these dynamics and call them what they are. Subscribe to Disaffected to learn how to break the spell. back. I want to remind you that if you are having a problem with a coworker, a family member, a social group, political grouping, if you're having any sort of problem where you feel like you're being canceled, you're being mistreated, you're being gaslit, 
Are you being treated in a way that reminds you of the kinds of behaviors and psychological dynamics that we talk about on this show? You and I can talk. Visit my website, joshuaslocum.net. I'm offering one-hour coaching and advice sessions for people on All Matters Cluster B. And it's not just limited to Cluster B. You don't have to know that your mother or your boyfriend or whoever it is, you don't have to know for certain that he or she has a personality disorder. And frankly, it's, it's less important than identifying the kinds of behaviors and dynamics that you are wrapped up in. The diagnosis can be made by somebody else. You may come to that on your own or you may not. But I can't offer you therapy. I don't want to offer you therapy. We might talk about how to find a therapist that would be helpful to you over the long term. Um, but I can offer you straight talk from a knowledgeable and experienced and well-read, frankly, layman. I've been there. I've known these people. I was raised by these people. I've fallen in love with these people. I've gone to bed with these people, and I've worked with these people. If you want to talk to somebody who knows and understands and will, and will give you feedback without bullshit, joshuaslocum.net. Now, I want to talk, I want to finish up by talking about Britney Spears. <clears throat> and this is interesting, as I was trying to figure out the best way to, to talk about this, it, it reminded me that it's easier, I don't, obviously, I don't know Britney Spears. Britney Spears is not my mother. Um, she's not my family. She's a celebrity. I can see her from a distance. And when we can see people from a distance who are, who, that we don't have an emotional connection to, we can more easily analyze their behavior and the behavior of people around them and look at the dynamic in, in a way that can bring insight and knowledge about that. That's much, much harder to do when you're talking about a person who has an actual emotional impact on you. But what, I, what I'm seeing with Britney Spears recently. And, and it, I, I'm going to say the same thing I said when I talked about the um, Amber Heard and, and Johnny Depp trial. I am not talking about this because I am interested in celebrity news. And I don't think that most of you who listen are interested in celebrity news either. I'm talking about this because what these celebrities are demonstrating is not celebrity behavior. If you believe that, and I know that some of you do, get it out of your mind. This isn't celebrity behavior. This is human behavior, but it is human behavior of a certain type. Most of it is cluster B behavior, trauma-based behavior. Celebrities show us what is going on in millions of homes of people we will never know about. All the antics that you see Amber Heard getting up to, Meghan Markle, Britney Spears, whoever it is, Sure, they take place on stages and in front of flashing cameras, but they aren't any different in kind from what I grew up with and what millions of children in Cluster B houses grew up with behind closed doors. So I don't care about the particular people here. I care that they give us an opportunity and a window in. Britney Spears was put on a stage by the age of three by her parents her narcissistic, exploitative stage parents, as all child stars were. Yes, every last one of them. No exceptions. No, none. You do not make a performing star out of a child. That's abuse in every circumstance. No, I'm not even going to ask you to supply your own not-alls. I'm going to tell you there are no not-alls. Not on this one. They had her doing solo recitals in front of her church and in front of crowds starting at age three. And then she was cast on the Mickey Mouse Club <clears throat> along with Justin Timberlake, Christina Aguilera. It's always still strange for me to, to say that because I remember my parents' generation talking about the Mickey Mouse Club and the star was Annette Funicello. <laughs> Christina Aguilera and the Mickey Mouse Club. Uh, yeah, Mickey. <laughs> but of course, then when Britney Spears turned 16, Hollywood did the thing that it loves to do to girls like her. It defiled her. It turned 
an actually virginal and innocent young girl who had talent. If you haven't heard Britney Spears sing when she's not using that really affected voice, she actually can sing. She has talent. They like to defile these girls. They like to take the virgins and turn them into whores. And that's exactly what they did with her first album and her songs, Hit Me Baby One More Time, dancing around provocatively in a Catholic schoolgirl outfit. What her parents did to her was a grave moral sin, and not because of any religious edict, but because it treated this little girl as an object and it warped her beyond repair, in my view. I'm pretty confident looking at her behavior over time that Britney Spears has borderline personality disorder and likely other mental problems that are in different clusters and different spheres. And I, like I said, I can look at somebody like her with more empathy and I can do that more easily than I can do it with someone like my mother. Um, my mother abused me and did it for years, but Britney Spears didn't do nothing to me, right? Um, and I've also said, there's a reason I'm repeating this. It's too much to ask the child of an abusive parent or the spouse of an abusive partner to feel the kind of, quote, empathy or sympathy that, that, that we strive to feel for people when we're trying to analyze for understanding rather than judgment. There's a place for that. That's what therapists are for. But you can't ask, you can't ask the victim of abuse to have warm, soft, understanding feelings about their abuser. That's not a reasonable ask. Um, and this, this, is, this is really upsetting, um, what Britney Spears said this week. I didn't realize at first that she was talking to her children in this, but she was. So, so here's what happened. Britney Spears' 15-year-old son, Jaden, was interviewed recently by media. Um, I don't remember which one originally. I've seen it all over all of them. And he said that he hopes he can mend his relationship with his mother. And I thought, my God, that poor child. It's not on him to mend anything. And the press shouldn't even be talking to him. I don't know who his actual guardians are, but knowing that family and what they did to his mother, it doesn't surprise me at all. But seriously, you should not be allowing the press to talk to a teenager. This isn't a high school science. This isn't Jaden Spears' high school science project where he gets his picture in the local chicken dinner newspaper. This is the media acting like vultures talking to a, a kid who's still in the last stages of puberty about his world famous mother who's known for having mental illness. My God, you people. I expect it from the press, but, you know, the family, the guardians. You disgust me. But Brittany responded. And how did she respond? She responded like a borderline. She blames her children for her unhappiness in life. And she talks to them as if they have a duty of care to her rather than her to them. And she does it in public. She does this to her minor children. She released a statement in response to her son, her 15-year-old son. Here are some excerpts from that statement this week. Quote, uh, uh, let me preface, I'm going to give you several quotes from Britney Spears. Some of them don't make a lot of grammatical sense. I'm going to read them as accurately as possible. Um, but I think she's on medication. <laughs> you know? Anyway, quote, I can totally understand why my family would have a problem with me doing my own thing. Maybe because I never have, I'm sure it is a little bit different and a touch lighter. Me not being responsible for three 18-wheeler trucks with tour equipment and thousands of people to be responsible for on tour, and Dad and Robin in, every cor in the corner of every room I've had to be in for the past 20 years. Now... I'm sure she's talking about her father uh, and somebody named Robin. And Britney Spears may, in fact, have legitimate grievances about the legal conservatorship that she is in that gives her family. I don't know the details of it. I think her dad has a lot to do with her money, uh, unfortunately. She probably has legitimate issues with this. 
Um, so I don't want to take that away from her. She has legitimate grievances against her parents, but she has no legitimate grievances against her minor children. She hasn't even been a mother to them. Whether you think that's her fault or not, it's a fact. Quote, and here she addresses her son directly. So, Jaden, as you undermined my behavior, just like my whole family always has, with hope she gets better, I will pray for her. Pray for what? I keep working so I can pay off mom's legal fees in her house. Do you guys want me to get better so I can continue to give your dad 40 grand a month? Or is the reasoning behind you guys deciding to be hateful is because it's actually over two years you need don't get any? Like I said, I don't quite understand that, but you can get the gist of what she's trying to express here. To her 15-year-old child, her 15-year-old son undermined her behavior. Listen to that and play it back in your head. That's parentification. It's shifting responsibility from parent to child. It's putting the child in the relationship of regulating the emotions and teaching behavior to the parent. It's an inversion, and in the plainest original sense of the word, it is perverse. It's using her children to bolster her, her broken self-image, which she got which she got because she was mistreated. But it doesn't make it okay to try to work it out through her kids. This is what borderline personality disorder looks like in so many mothers who have this condition. They are literal emotional toddlers. Arrested emotional development. That is a key with cluster B. They are stuck, most of them, in the emotional relational stage of a toddler, sometimes to a teenager. That's why they act the way they do. Quote, I will say it. I sat in my kitchen and look you straight in the eyes, beautiful boy, and said, how come I can't see you guys anymore? I just see you guys more. I look forward to seeing you guys weekly. Remember, she's talking to her 15-year-old son in a public statement she released to the press. Quote, you said, oh, mama, it'll change. You and your brother left me in that house always two hours early. Preston would sleep with you and play the piano the whole time. And if I didn't shower you with gifts and have amazing food ready and play a motherfucking saint, it was still never good enough. Oh, Jaden Spears, I hope you have somebody in your life, hopefully somebody not famous, somebody who never talks to the press, who can tell you that this isn't normal, it isn't your fault, you didn't do anything to your mother, your mother in fact failed you. That's not too harsh for a 15-year-old to hear. If somebody had said that to me and if I, if I had been able to believe it at 15 years old, I might have saved myself some of the further pain that came in my late adolescence and in much of my adult life, at which point I was the one creating this pain. I was creating it for a reason, but I didn't know any better. I hope Jaden has somebody. Uh, I'm going <clears> to, <throat> I'm sorry. This, this is... <coughs> This reminds me so much of, of things my mother has said to me that it's, uh, it gets me a little bit. I'm going to read the rest to you. That one time I asked you, looking straight in your eyes, I said, I want to see you more. You called your dad. I never saw you again. I didn't do anything wrong, and I know I'm not perfect. But the love I've given you and how much I adore you and your diplomatic ways speaking like pawpaw, self-entitled, this can be fixed. I'll see her when she's better. Jaden, it was a miracle I could even have a normal conversation when I got out of that place. You were just like my other family. 
you secretly loved looking at me as if something was wrong with me. I didn't need a family hiding shit in houses and whispering shit behind my back, feeling subconsciously guilty because I paid for every fucking thing in both homes. I need unconditional love and support. I need unconditional love and support. Bitch, so does your kid. Okay? You selfish bitch. Your parents did you wrong, and you're doing Jaden wrong. You are no better than your parents with what you're doing. You can choose to do this differently. You can stop doing this, Brittany. You really can. It's not easy. It's going to hurt. But you do have the ability to do that. You don't have to become your parents. This is borderline personality disorder, everyone. It's reversal of responsibility. It's fears of abandonment. It's claims of abandonment, even when they're not true. It's blaming children for your own refusal to parent those children. Demanding that they parent you instead. Demanding that they fix things for you. And you know, I've talked before on the show about how the term borderline personality disorder arose because it was thought to be on the border. A person is on the border between neurosis and psychosis, and neurosis is um, considered within the normal range. I mean, you can be dysfunctional, but when you leave neurosis and you get into psychosis, you've jumped a level in, in, on the mental health tree. And this is an example of it. It's very like my mother as well. This is why this caught, caught my eye. The, the paranoid ideation this belief that Britney Spears has that everyone is talking about her behind her back, that her kids are doing it. Not only are her kids doing it, but they're doing it gleefully, that they're taking pleasure in talking her down behind her back. Exactly the same thing that my mother accused me and my sister of doing when in fact the conversations between the two of us, my sister and I, were about how to help my mother, how to screen her for dementia, how to get her some treatment for acute depression, how Seriously, we needed to take her veiled suicide threats. That's what we were talking about, but not to her. To her, we were talking about how to destroy her. That's when borderline leaps from neurosis to psychosis. You secretly loved looking at me as if something was wrong with me. It's almost verbatim out of my mother's mouth. And many of you will recognize that too. I'm going to get at least two emails this week from people who say, did we have the same mother? Did I have the same mother as Jaden Spears? Folks, they're stereotyped. These people, they're characters. It's literally like from old central casting in Hollywood. They are a type. That's why they sound so familiar. In the end, you know, Britney Spears will be lucky if her children end up speaking to her because God knows what damage she's done to them. And God knows what damage that family has done to them and will continue to do to them. And God knows what they're going to turn into. A therapist needs to be able to see a patient with what they call unconditional positive regard. I don't particularly like that phrase, but I understand it. I might substitute something like good faith. But it's part of what we call empathy. A, a, a therapist needs to be able to empathize with their patient to understand. And that means it does not mean to sympathize to coo and to coddle. It means to be able to effectively put yourself in their mental place and ask yourself, would I have done the same things? Were I in the same situation subject to the same forces? That's what empathy is. Um, but children have no such responsibility to their parents. And when children are in play as they are here, none of that matters. Parents like this, like Britney Spears, and like her parents, they need to be stopped. They need to be prevented from doing this to children. It is abuse, even if they never lay a hand on them, it is abuse. It is not the beatings, it's not the slaps, it's not the ear twisting that made me into the person I am today. It was the psychological torment. It's my mother's words that I remember today. We have to draw a line when it comes to extending our sympathy and our compassion. Or maybe a better way to say it is that we have to triage our compassion. 
because we have a duty to the children and to the abused first. And for me, that's how I'm going to triage it. The children come first. Thanks for watching. We'll see you again next week. For more conversation on the dark and disordered psychology that shapes today's cultural and political left, subscribe to our weekly audio podcast on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and virtually anywhere else you get your podcasts. Let's learn to recognize these dynamics and call them what they are. Subscribe to Disaffected to learn how to break the spell.